We are in uh, the year of the Bible. And what the year of the Bible is, is every week we come here together and we speak about something out of the past week's reading out of the one-year Bible, which in case you don't know what that is, you can download a version app. You can uh, you could buy a one-year Bible, and every day there's a, a New Testament and an Old Testament reading, uh, along with the Psalms and the Proverbs. And what we do is we, we look back, we find a story or a theme, uh, something out of the past week, and we speak about it on Sundays. And what it really helps do is kind of bring some context around some of the stories. Um, how many of you know that whenever you just open up the Bible and find a random scripture, sometimes it's hard to know like what was before it, what's after it, and, and you kind of get lost, right? Uh, well, what we're endeavoring to do is kind of bring some context and to kind of expound on some of those stories and just bring a little bit different angle to what's going on. And that's what we're doing today. Now, we're, we, we're wrapping up the book of John in this week's reading. And the book of John is the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And every single one of those recounts in a different perspective the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so uh, towards the end of each of those books, obviously, is the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be kind of going over today and talking about. But before we get into it, I kind of wanted to bring some context around what we will be speaking about. And really, it's all about the cross, okay? And, and the cross is a, a symbol, it's an emblem that obviously, especially for us, represents Christianity and, and Jesus. But how many of you know that symbols and, and you know, visuals, sometimes they kind of take on a life of their own? And sometimes they lose the initial uh, reason for it being there in the first place. Kind of like a cross. A cross is a, a symbol, but for some people it becomes something that has power in it. Like the actual cross, like the shape of the cross. Uh, it's like a vampire movie, you know what I'm saying? It's like I hold it up for protection. You know, I, I wear a cross around my neck that, that covers my heart. And like in that there's some sort of, you know, dome around you of protection. And that's really not the case it's almost like looking at a wedding ring. I mean, this is, this is my wedding ring. This isn't the ring that I got married when, that was given to me. It's actually a Quelo. Is it Quelo? Quelo ring. It's made out of silicone. But it's a ring that represents a covenant that's between me and my wife, right? The ring, it's not like I'm married. I'm not married. Married, you know, it's not the way a ring works, obviously, uh, but because but, it's just a symbol, it's something that represents, it's a reminder, okay, it reminds me of the covenant, and it also lets everybody know what's up, you know, like I'm, I'm spoken for, all right, uh, I married a couple yesterday, and that's what I talked about, I talked about the ring, it's like, wear that thing proudly, let people know what's up, you know, like I got somebody special in my life, and that's what a ring represents, it's much like a cross. The cross in itself is like a ring around your finger. It, it, it doesn't have power in and of itself. But it represents something that is extremely important and very powerful for us. Actually, it's one of the most important things in all of creation. It represents the redemption of mankind. It represents a way where there was no way. It represents Jesus dying on the cross. Right? Yeah. That's what it represents, and there's power in that, but not just the, not just the cross itself, right? And, and whenever we put it in context like that, of course it makes sense. But man, we, we, we get weird sometimes. We get caught in these traps and we forget about why it's really there. It's not about whether the cross is you know, on the front of a church or whether the cross is, you know, you've got seven of them in your home, right? It, it, none of, 
That doesn't, is the cross, what happened on the cross, residing inside of you? Is it affecting your Monday through Friday, right? So that's, that's the importance of it. And we want to talk about why the cross? Why the cross? Because if you've been reading, then you've seen how messed up the situation was with Jesus. How he, he goes to a trial and it's really, it was already done that some people had set it up. Uh, you got Pontius Pilate uh, who, who really got involved in it and I don't think he wanted to be involved at all. If you read it, you'll know. Uh, he kind of got roped into it. And so some people were indirectly responsible, other people directly responsible. And we, we get a little feel of the chaos in John 19, one through seven. I just wanna read these scriptures to you. Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. That's just a small taste of all of the the junk that was going on in this time. They wanted Jesus dead. They hated everything that he represented and they were going to have what they wanted. It was going to happen. They were going to force it to happen. They were manipulating people, buying people out, and they were going to have this thing take place. Uh, But I think this statement is probably one of the most confusing parts of everything is the cross was the plan of God. Like the whole thing was God's plan. The grotesque way that Jesus would die, the painful way that Jesus would die, the the manipulations of all the people getting Jesus to that moment, the, the lies, the deceit, all of that was the plan of God. And that's a little bit, I mean, if we just really zoom out from the story, that's a little hard to reconcile. Because I guess the, the question I come up with is why? <laughs> out of everything, why the cross? Why one of the most painful ways to die? Uh, one of the most humiliating ways to die? I mean, Jesus was lied about. He was accused falsely. He was, he was beaten. I mean, we just read that. They, they flogged him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. I mean, we we visualize and we see these things. We hear about him a lot. But he was misused and abused and it was all God's plan. But there was a reason. There was a a, a reason that God did all of this. And that's what we're going to look at. Why the cross? Well, the first reason, the main reason was this problem of sin. The problem of sin. Sin is something that has progressed in, in the world. Sin wasn't always in the world. Actually, if you, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, which it, everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve. We have some sort of con, you know, uh, the concept of Adam and Eve. I just want you to revisit that quickly. They were sinless. They were innocent. They had complete intimacy with God. They, had, they, were, they were close to God. God knew them. They knew God. There was a, uh, just a fellowship that they had that was unbroken. It wasn't weird. It was, I mean, like we know that they didn't have any clothes on, but that wasn't strange. Why? Because they were innocent. You know, much like our kids, they're just innocent. 
and they had a connection with God. And then what happens is the serpent comes, deceives them, um, offers them something that they think they want. They think that they want the knowledge of good and evil. It's kind of like young kids, they think that they want to know everything. They think that they <laughs> know everything and then that they want to know more. And really it's like, if you could look back, didn't you love being 10 years old? <laughs> Wasn't that a good time? I think I had the most fun in life when I was like 10. I mean, let's be honest. You just have no concept of some things. You're just innocent and, and just living life, having a great time. And that's where Adam and Eve are at. And then they're deceived. They partake of the fruit. And then sin enters the world. Sin enters the, the scene because they fall. Romans 5.12 says this. When Adam sinned, he entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So there's this introduction of sin on the scene. scene. And this nature, this, this thing, this issue of sin has been passed down each generation after that. You see, all of us are born with sin. We're born with a sin nature. Okay, like nobody ever taught me to lie or to be angry or to manipulate. That was just inside. All right, I mean, that was just there. Why? I was born with it. We're all born with a sin nature. It's not something you do, it's something you are. Okay, you are a sinner. Now, there's different types of sin. And that's really, whenever we say you're, you're a sinner, we think of what you're doing, the things that you're doing, the sins that you're committing. But there are different types of sins. There's sins of commission, which are things that you do. You think, you say, you act. And then there's sins of omission, which are things that you don't do, that you that you know you should do. You know, growing up, we used, to, we used to do these things called encounters and they were basically just retreats. And I can remember my, my youth pastor uh, speaking this message and, and he preached, he taught on the cross so many times and, and, and he would do this teaching and I could still see him standing in that dingy little room that we had encounters in, smelly place, but, but it was good, it's awesome. And, and he'd say, you know, here we are and, and if, we, if we say something, we, we sin. And then he's like, you know, if, if we think, if we have thoughts, we sin. If we, if we do anything, really, we sin. But then if we just don't do anything, we take a step back, we sin. He's like, no matter what you do, you're going to sin because it's built in. And I, I remember just sitting there and kind of like you, just feeling super hopeless. Right? Just, <sighs> you can't do anything. And you you, you can't do anything and then you can't not do anything. Like no matter what you do, sin is crouching at your door. And that's the problem that, that, that we're dealing with here is it's not something that you do. It's not something that you become. It's something that you're born into. And that thought process right there starts breaking down some religious mindsets. Because if, if I understand that I'm born into something, then I realize that I don't have the ability in and of myself to get me out of that because it's out of my control. It's a problem, it's an issue. You were born with a sin nature, it's in you. And the Bible talks about it, James 4, 17. Uh, well, actually this is the other scripture that talks about the sins of omission. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And he's just, he's just laying that out there. The other scripture is, uh, is about how we are born into sin. There's nothing that we do. David talks about in Psalms. He's like, this is something I was, I was born into it and it's affecting everything that I do. And the, the big thought is that we can't fix sin in and of ourselves. 
I, I'm kind of a fixer at heart. It doesn't mean that I always fix things, but like I desire to fix things, okay? But, but like if something happens, like my thought is what can I do to fix it? And um, unless it's something having to do with like woodworking, if that's the case, I burn it because <laughs> there's no getting out of that one. Can't fix that one. But it, you know, in life things happen and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna do something. But this is one of those situations that you don't fix, that you can't fix. Religion says you can, but the Bible says you can't. So with this problem, what's the solution? Well, the cross is the solution that God offers for this problem of sin. Because sin requires payment. Okay, if you go back and if you read the word of God, you'll see throughout that sin, when sin takes place, there has to be a payment for it or it's outstanding. And so, so sin requires a payment. Romans 6, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the wages of sin is death. Uh, this is a topic that people don't like to talk about anymore. And that's the, the topic of hell. Because the wages of sin is death means death not just physically, but death spiritually, eternally. So whenever you die, and if there hasn't been a, a, a sacrifice or a payment for you, the sin nature, hell is the only option. Hell is the, the, the way. And the Bible actually says wide is the way to that result. Wide is the path. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So you have, you have death on one side, then you have life on the other. And of course, who in here wouldn't want life? I mean, I, how many of you would like life? Of course, everyone. We all want life. That's a given. But why would more people choose death than life? That's something that I think about a lot. You know, in the, in the Bible talks about four different types of soil. And there's a lot of seed that goes out there and, and it, the cares of the world choke it out, falls on bad soil, goes through different scenarios. But then there's this one type of soil that it actually produces life. Most people, the seed is gonna fall and it's gonna die. They're not gonna receive it. They're not gonna accept it or believe it. If you read the Bible, I mean, we just talked about it last week. The Messiah himself, Jesus himself is standing before people performing these miracles, these, I mean, unquestionable things are taking place and still people didn't believe. Still people, I mean, his own family didn't take what he said as truth. So let's not get caught up in the, in the fact that if, if great grandiose things would take place, you know, if the dead come to life, people are gonna believe then. No, it's already happened once. It didn't work. Why? Death, sin, deception. It's cunning, it's crafty. In our right mind, we wouldn't choose death over life. But in this world, there's a trap. And it traps people into choosing death over life. The good news is that there is life, that there is a free gift. Free gift, by the way, all right? The wages of sin is death, but God says, I'm gonna make another way, it's gonna be free. I'm gonna do the 99.9% of the work, it's gonna be free. So we can't pay this, this debt. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring to this equation. Our best efforts still fall short. Jesus' blood was the only sufficient payment because innocent blood is the only adequate payment for sin. That's what we just, when we took communion, that's what we were talking about and remembering is the innocent blood of Jesus that was shed, that had to be shed Maybe you haven't really 
uh, studied blood covenant and really gone into the Old Testament and looked at, at, at all of the sacrifices and things that had to be paid for. Maybe you haven't really studied the Ark of the Covenant to understand or the tabernacle. I would encourage you to go study those things, to get a deeper revelation of the price that, that Jesus paid for us, not just physical pain, but what it represented and what it paid for. Very important. But Romans 5, this is one of the, to me, one of the most hopeful scriptures in, in all the word of God, what it says. It says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one person, other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And this is so hopeful. This is the way. Adam was the first, obviously the first Adam he made mistakes that ended in death. Jesus came, the second Adam, and brought life, brought a way out. This is our hope, y'all. Like this is, the, this is the pivot point. If we don't understand this, everything else is gonna just not be as significant. I really believe that, that that's what religion does, which is just rules, regulations, repeti rep uh, repetition. And it just sucks the life out of what's really going on, it, it, it just, it removes the life, it removes the relationship out of it. It's kind of like a marriage with no spark and just roommates just existing together. That's not the plan. That's not the, that's not what's supposed to be taking place. It's what happens with our understanding of God. Whenever religion comes in, we lose that innocent, genuine faith in who God is and it gets really intellectual and it gets really even normal. Because, I mean, let's be honest, how could we read scriptures like this and it not do something in the inside of us? Enough to maybe even like, I don't know, smile, <laughs> okay? Why? I don't, I don't think that we all think it's actually real. I don't, I don't think that it's actually powerful in our life. I think that it might just be a, a wooden cross sitting in the corner of a stage like a ring on this finger, like we're not realizing the significance of it. Like we're, we, we forgot, we forget. And all of a sudden it's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's next? What's the next point? We're watching the screen for the next point, right? What's, what's coming up next? Say another funny story. And it's like, man, this is, this is a big deal. This is everything. If it wasn't for the cross of Jesus, what's the point? There is none. There's no hope. People who live lives without this understanding live hopeless lives. They live lives ruled by sin. They live lives trying to get to a place, those who believe in God but don't truly, they're not, they're not understanding God. They live a life trying to attain something, which is very frustrating. Because again, you never feel like you actually arrive because you don't, because you can't. It's not the plan, it's not the route, it's not the thing that God created. His plan, his solution was the cross. It's important that we understand that. So what's the results of the cross? What is the, the, the cross really, what is what Jesus did on the cross actually produce? The first thing it produces is redemption. 
Redemption, and, and I love redemption because it really talks about compensating for the, the bad things. It, it's talking about regaining possession of something. Redemption, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How many hisses and hymns happened there, right? It wasn't according to you and according to how good you are and, and according to the effort that you produce. Yeah, God did this, but you also, all right? All right. Now, now, we're talking about justification right now. We're talking about redemption, Let's not jump forward to sanctification and to, to how our lives play out. Let's, let's start with redemption, justification, that moment, that miracle where God's grace and our faith meet and we are saved and we are redeemed. It's redemption. That's what the cross gives us, the, the ability to be redeemed. It also gives us the ability to be righteous. That's the second thing. The cross produces righteousness and righteousness is really moral excellence being in right standing with God. And apart from Jesus, we are not righteous. We are very unrighteous without a pathway to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, I picture being in Christ like putting a jacket on, okay, like, like, being covered in something. You ever been freezing cold? Which you're not freezing cold right here and here because isn't it hot? <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> it's 76 degrees over here and 70 degrees over here. Something's wrong. Let's just pray for the side of the room. <laughs> Lord, we pray for the AC that it would come on. God, please. You know, every time the weather changes, by the way, there's something that happens in the AC. So I apologize to all you on this room. I saw some fans happening. Anybody got an extra fan? I could use a fan right now. <laughs> anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about. But I said something in righteousness. No, it's not there. It's gone. Really intense. It's really hot. It's a jacket. There it is. That's how I got. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We put on at Christ. We put on Jesus, right? And uh, that visual is just not working right now. So, you know. <laughs> but you, I, don't know, I don't know if you're like a cold-natured person. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like always cold. I'm the, I like, if I'm hanging at the house, I probably got like a fleece somewhere nearby. You know what I'm talking about? All the men are like, no, I would never. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what I'm talking about. Give me that blanket, you know. But, uh, you know, there's been times where, where I'm taking a nap and like, I fall asleep and I'm freezing cold. But, you know, you're like in that sleeper, you don't want to get up. Man, how, how nice is it whenever somebody grabs a blanket and like while your eyes are closed and you're just in peace and they just go and they lay it on you. Oh, man. I got a five-year-old and she's at that age now where every now and then she has compassion for me. <laughs> Most of the time it's just mockery and making jokes about daddy, you know, but it's, it's good. I love her. So it's our love language. Make fun of each other. So, but I was laying there and she came up and she just put that, the, 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 the blanket on me. It's so sweet, right? But, but man, what happens? You get warm. All of a sudden you just feel like, ah, oh. I'm telling you, whenever you get saved, and many of you have had this, for me, I could take you to the spot in building two where it happened when I was, you know, initially I was six. And then again, when I was 13, there was just another you know, understanding that came. And I'm telling you, it was like, whew, this is real. 
God put a blanket around me. And what is that? It's his righteousness. And immediately at that moment, something about condemnation and guilt, it can't, it can't exist whenever you're in Christ. Like, yeah, you still know what, where you're wrong, okay? Like, you still know the things that need work, okay? We're not talking about that, but we're talking about the fact that you're secure. You're secure in Jesus. I mean, it's a great place to be. And if, and if you're in this place and you can't, you can't like, you don't, you don't know that, you don't feel that, I just believe that by the time you leave today, you're gonna know that and feel that. You're gonna feel God's acceptance. But it starts with having a proper understanding of everything that we're speaking about about the cross and what was accomplished on the cross. The third thing is restoration. Restoration, restoring things back to the original intent. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, behold, the new has come. And we know this scripture, we say this a lot, okay? It's old, it's gone. But I don't know that everybody actually truly believes that. Because a lot of times we get caught in this thing of condemnation where we continue to remember, and it's like somebody bringing it before us what we were. Whenever God's like, hey, yeah, that happened. But now that you're in Christ, you're new. And I'm restoring to you the initial intent of your life, your purpose. Like you have purpose. God has called each of you to something of significance. But you do have to link up with that. You do have to believe it. You have to believe that I am righteous in Christ. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I'm restored. That potential that was there when I was young is is restored. Never left. See, God's love and his grace and his forgiveness never quits. And I believe that everything I'm talking about for some of you is producing hope. For others of you who have tried this thing, maybe you grew up in church and it didn't work. Um, it's actually just heaping more guilt on you because you're like, I know all this, but yet it still didn't work for me and it's still not working for me. And, 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 and what's the point of trying again? Like, yeah, I'm at church because I know I'm supposed to be. It's, it's a good thing to do. But like, I'm not expecting vict- a victorious lifestyle tomorrow morning when I get up. Because I know all of this, but it's just not real. And I want to encourage you to reconsider. I want to encourage you to stop obeying and listening to the lies of the enemy. Because the lies of the enemy are subtle, but they're very real. And they're very deceptive. Sometimes the enemy says, you're okay. Like, you're you're fine. You're fine whenever you're not. And then, isn't it amazing, whenever you are okay, the enemy says, you're not okay. You, You ever notice that? Anybody, you know, it's like, it's like whenever you're far from God, you're cool. Everything's fine. Like you don't really feel much. You're like, hey, it's all good. You could justify everything. But then whenever you make a decision to actually step into the righteousness of God, all of a sudden these lies and everything starts happening where it's like, you're not good. You're not where you need to be. And this just condemnation comes. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to keep you over here. But the transfer, the the conversion to this place goes through the cross, right? You're not going to, you're not going to make that transition into this place. You're not going to get here on your own. It's only through the cross. And, And for me, that produces a lot of humility. It kind of takes the pressure off because I realize that it's it's not in in me. 
this righteousness that we're speaking of, this, this restoration, I don't have the ability to do it. But I do know someone that does. I know Jesus does. Now, what activates this? What's one of the key components? I guess to claim one of these results of the cross, I believe it begins with brokenness and repentance and confession. You know, confession is such an important aspect of our relationship with God, but it's also one of the key ingredients whenever we begin our relationship with God, confessing our need of God, confessing our sin, and really repenting, which repenting just means turning. You're going this way, you repent, you turn, and you start going this way. It's, it's what it simply means. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the initial beginning of your relationship with God. And this has got to take place. That you not only declare it, I believe it with your mouth, but you declare it in the way that you live. That Jesus is Lord, he saved me, he's redeemed me. But I, I just believe in this room right now that there's a lot of you who haven't really passed through that. Like you haven't agreed with God. You haven't repented, repented and, and, and turned from your, your thinking, your way of living. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that here today. Hearing everything laid out, hearing the promise of God spoken for you, seeing what Jesus has done for you, I believe that for some of you, it's, your heart's pounding right now. And you're like, that's what I need. It's what I've been missing. I've known it, but it's not been real. And today it's time to start this relationship with God. And for others of you, again, you've done it a couple of times. You, you've tried real hard. But you're, 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 at the, you're at the end of yourself, but yet you feel like you're a hypocrite. You feel like you have no hope, no purpose. And can I just help you out in that? Don't give in to that. Don't allow that to, to keep you chained where you're at. Don't. It's, a, it's, a, it's the plan of the enemy. What does the enemy do? He kills, he destroys, he steals. That's what he wants to do to your faith. That's what he wants to ultimately do to your life. Don't fall trap. Don't fall into the trap. Come on, let the blinders be removed right now and realize I need Jesus. Come on, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. This is what we're gonna do. I'm not going to bring you up to the front of the room or embarrass anyone, but I am in a moment gonna ask, ask you to raise your hand. If you're one of the, the many in this room who first of all, you say, I need Jesus I need him desperately, I need him now, I know it. I believe in this and I need to confess it and publicly declare that God is my source, Jesus is my savior and you need to repent of your sin today and just turn. Turn from the deception, turn from the lies and rely on Jesus. Others of you, you've tried this thing once or twice but you know that you're far from God. You know that your life, it just isn't right. Let's just be honest. And today, you need to commit your life to God, afresh and anew. I wanna give you the opportunity for that. So if you're in either of those places right now, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. Come on, I see you all over the room. Yeah, come on, it's good. Just admit it. Jesus, I need you. Right here, I see you right here in the front. Come on, right over here. 
The Lord is here. His grace is sufficient for you. When you raise your hand, you are saying something significant. We're going to pray to seal this, but I think right now there's already been a heart change for many of you because it says, that's me. That's where I'm at. We're going to pray, and this is, this is it. I, I don't necessarily want you to repeat after me, but I want you to pray to your God to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. Pray to your God today. Come on, desperation, humility, and receive his forgiveness for you. Let's pray together. God, I come before you humbly, broken. Lord, you've been with me every step of the way, but God, I haven't acknowledged you. And God, right now, I acknowledge you. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. God, I thank you for the cross that you sent Jesus to die on so that I could have this moment right now. So God, I, I, I bring my successes, I bring my failures, all the good, the bad, and I lay it at your feet. God, right now I receive your free gift of salvation. I just declare right now that you're my Lord, you're my savior. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for continuing to pursue me. God, even when I didn't pursue you, that even when I was dead in my sin and my misunderstanding of this life, that God, you were there. God, I thank you for your presence, for your love for me. I receive it right now. God, I pray that you take my life, use my life for something that matters. Use my life to glorify you. God, that people would look at me and they would see a change, that they would, be, they would see something different. And they would say, man, God must be real because I saw it happen. I saw God change his heart. I saw God change their life. I saw God restore things that were messed up. God, let it be said of me. God, let your name be exalted in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to God today? If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.